Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to this week's episode of the Noel Podcast. Today on our episode, we have Laura. Um, and before we get right into that, and I'm very excited. I haven't heard anything yet about her story, so I'm very excited. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for all the attentions you've been giving us online. Um, uh, I hope you've been really enjoying the guests we have and learning from them just as much as we have. And we are very excited to keep growing this over the course of the year and getting some really, really interesting, fascinating people on board. Um, and about that as well, the goal of this podcast is try to answer the question, you know, how, what do I want to do with my life? And we want to interview people that have found that meaning and purpose in their life of what they do, regardless of what it is. And, and, and we also really are a strong advocate for the fact that Adelaide is filled with a lot of really fascinating, interesting people. And we really shoot above our weight um, with what well, we're- I think it's a secret society. I, I think so, I think so. <laughs> you have to go and dig and find them, you know, beg yeah. them, come please share yeah. your story. Um, so we, yeah, we, we just, if you know any really interesting people, you wanted to come and have a chat about your life and what you've done, please reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to accommodate you. But without further ado, I'd love to learn more about a bit about you, Laura. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I don't know if I can live up to that sort of a interesting intro, but um, yeah, I I agree that Adelaide has a subculture of interesting people, and I think mm. maybe they're all introverts, so they don't ever meet each other. But mm. I'm glad to be here and like meeting new people Ooh. in the yeah. same sort of space, interested in the same things. Uh, but yeah, so my story, I actually started. I don't know where do you start. Um, Education-wise, I started at uni doing law and an arts degree. And about by the time I was in third year, I knew I didn't want to do it anymore, but uh, but I was too far in to give up. So mm. I finished my law degree and then had a gap year um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do and kept coming back to tech. So was interested in basically interested in making things, uh, interested in fixing things in like problems as well as actual things. Uh, and that sort of led me to my path that down the path where I am now, which is trying my hand at startups and trying to make these products that I've sort of dreamed of and have found gaps in my life that wanted, I wanted to fill. Um, but more so wanted to give other people the opportunity to grow and uh, to find use in technology. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I, before we head straight <laughs> into the into the present, I wanted to just, I'm just curious as well. You've obviously done a law degree mm -hmm. four years, right? What, what, what's maybe the- Five years. Five, five years. Oh, sorry. Five, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, five five double, yeah. Five years. Oh, and then, yeah. And then right. you have another extra two years for yeah, the yeah. exam. Yeah. Well, so you have to go back- you have to do a graduate diploma to actually be admitted as a lawyer. So I actually spent several years working in tech and then I felt like that was unfinished. Oh. Went back and did my graduate diploma um, and then I got admitted and through that process you have to work in a law firm and as be a lawyer with yeah. basically no power to do anything. But you get your full experience of what it's like to work in a law firm and that was enough for me to realise the the day-to-day -day of working in law wasn't for me, but I do think there are some carryovers between law and tech that I sort of brought with me 
through like these startups, which was more that both are serving a purpose to uh, encourage society to be the best it can be. And I think interestingly, tech is sort of on a, on a totem pole yeah. in, in how that's going to go in the future. So that's mm. a really interesting, uh, for me, a really interesting thought space of like, where are we going with technology, particularly with AI? Um, but yeah, so. Mm. So, so you I, have never left law literally. So you're always so like on the, on the edge. Well, in terms of a thought process, I yeah. think, yeah. Um, and one thing that doing a law degree does do for you is give you uh, a lot of practice in critical analysis. Yeah. <laughs> and applying that in, in other fields has been like a really fun way to explore all of that learning, which, yeah, it's it's been really rewarding. Well, you just answered the question I was going to ask, which was <laughs> what did you learn from your law degree that you apply? But Wow, yeah. okay. So critical analysis. Could you go into what do, what do you mean by that? Like um, I and think, how do you apply that in like a tech space? I think that taking something at face value uh can be quite an easy thing to do, especially if you're in a professional setting or you're just trying to get things done. But having that pause to look at the pros and cons, the for and against, um, the possibilities outside of what you're presented with is is that sort of critical analysis. And I think to translate that over to tech, it's about looking at, well, what is the potential of this product or what is the potential of this problem we're trying to solve? Like, you know, how bad could it be or how good can we make it? And yeah. you're constantly analyzing what, uh, what, what you want to contribute through whatever power you have yeah. in that work. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, um, I did. I did enjoy my law degree as it was challenging uh, at times, and there was a lot of cramming and a lot of like all those sorts of things that everyone has at university. But uh, I don't. I, I often look back and think, you know, what would I do instead? And there's nothing else. So I do think I found the right uh, path in terms of the study. It was more that after the fact. I wanted to apply in a different, mm. in a different realm. So, and, and at what at what point in your life did you get exposed to that tech that you fell in love with? Uh, that's a good question. Actually, my dad was also always very uh, interested and engaged with technology. So back in, I'm a '90s baby. So back in the '90s, like, and even before then, he was just ahead of the game. Like, he just knew about mostly hardware, but software as well. Like, he just knew what he was doing. Um, he understood the technology as it was developing and rolling out. And at that time, like that was, there were huge jumps in technology with the internet yeah. and all sorts. So he, I think that there was a natural exposure at home to just problem solving and, uh, applying well, troubleshooting really mm. like, <laughs> you know, like the printer's broken, try and fix it. And, and I think that's actually been the bedrock of my approach to tech has been like, this thing has been designed intentionally and mm. it's to make your life, uh, well, it's to complement your life. And if there's a problem with it, work backwards and see like what's in the way of it doing that, you know, like yeah. what is in the way of this thing not working or this app not functioning right. And then you can usually go forward again and see, right, okay, I can see what the engineers were trying to do or whatever it is and you can kind of like, you, mm. you 
you get beneath the surface of what the technology actually is and what the meaning is because I think it can be a scary thing to have all of these gadgets and this fast-moving, like, culture around what software is, like, the latest and best and all these sorts of things. But it's like, well, what does it actually mean to your life? Like, what's it contributing to you? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I find that approach the way that I can understand I see. that. So When you said you wouldn't go back and, you know, you wouldn't have done something else, and mm. you're also in the tech space, I have to ask, as an engineer... You never thought about it? Well, I don't, I think that, definitely thought, but I think that um, realistically my skills were more in the creative sort of, and not to say that engineering is not creative because as I've grown and had more experience, I think that it is a really creative space. But I think just typically my understanding at that time was that I wanted to be more, um, yeah, more creative and I was much more of a humanities student. So I was more geared towards using words and yeah. and all of those sorts of things. But having said that, in my gap year between school and uni, I went and did a, a like audio engineering course. Mm. So because <laughs> my How the did you inner, end up there? The inner me wanted to be a rock star. Okay. <laughs> so makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So um, that was my sort of intro. That was actually a really important and pivotal year for me doing that because I was working with different types of learners um, and that really informed my view of how people learn and what is important about learning, mm -hmm. which was like the, the root and the seed of these the idea that I, I've worked on um, with an education platform. So... That was, yeah, that was a really pivotal yeah. year for me. Yeah. And, and and you would recommend people taking a gap year, like if it's right for them, I guess. But... Yeah. Well, I mean, how much of a gap year is a gap year if you're doing a course and studying it? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, fair but, but I mean, my friends were over in Europe having a good time and I, I, I don't know why I chose, I don't know what drew me to it, but in terms of the actual, I went through the process. I think it was because I wasn't ready for university yet and I knew that. How did you know that? Uh, because I, I felt, I felt tired after school. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I, the only reason I put law down on my list of your, like, what is your preference list yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even know the difference between the universities. Like I, I hadn't done any of my research. I was just done with school. And the only reason I put that down was because the head of curriculum at my school, she was like awesome like one of those teachers that everyone should have in their life and really stood out to me and really made an impact on me I actually reached out to her a couple of years ago and told her that <laughs> because it really did it was really important for me to have an advocate and someone who saw my potential um if because I was wasn't so much a uh, a different learner but I was definitely not driven by the same things that the other people in my class were so I wasn't it wasn't all about getting good grades. Like I really wanted to understand what I was learning and doing. So she said to me on my last day of school, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like we had to fill this form out for our careers counselor. I don't know. And she just said, I think your brain would work with this, like have it, have a go. And so I just put, put law down. I don't know what else is on the list. I, yeah, I don't, don't even remember. Yeah. 
Um, then the offers came in and I didn't touch them for a year, just left it like, was like, whatever, not even bothered. And then, yeah. And then I went and did this course and it really opened my eyes to, uh, the privilege of the opportunity to go to university. That was something that I had taken for granted until I was in that setting and people weren't able to go to university and especially not for like the course that they really wanted to do. And there I was sort of not phased and and like was fortunate enough to get into this course and I was sort of like it just reframed it for me in a way where I could yeah could approach it um with fresh eyes yeah and and then on top of that the learn because that was a practical course like we were mixing bands and and using equipment and all of these things it was so such a different learning environment and you know, we would have written tests and some of the people in my class, they might not be able to spell like every word that they wanted to write, but they could tune a PA system with their eyes closed. Wow. And, but they, it, it just, they were so intelligent in a way that wasn't the standard academic yeah. uh, measure of, of, of intelligence. And that was to me again, really refreshing and inspiring because it just shows value across the board in whatever people do, if they're passionate about it and they find their thing, that's yeah. like, that's gold. It just takes people different amounts of time to get there. That's right? it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so in that point that you just mentioning, um, so you were interested in the process mm. more than the results. Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. So you were looking at why yes. rather than how. Yes. Correct. Yes. So, and, and. I mean, they say if you find the reason behind it, you can actually finally find out how you do it. Mm -hmm. So do you think that we are losing those meetings in, in general public in the society or based on your observation? I mean, there is no statistic data around mm. it, but as a personal opinion, do you think that you are losing that? Um, yes, in short, mm -hmm. I think that there is, this is so, that's sort of the point that inspired me to pursue uh, this business, making a tech platform for education, which was focused on feedback and giving feedback in a meaningful way where people could learn in a meaningful way. And that the foundation of that was going to, uh, to university and not feeling like like I, I had a great time at university and I'm very thankful for the opportunity, but I, there are times when I didn't feel like I was learning in that process way. It was mm. about getting to the next step, passing the exam, getting to the next year, getting your degree and then doing whatever with it. Yep. Um, and that works for some people and that's what some people want to do. That's they want to get through. But for me, I was passionate about, not only helping uh, people like me to have more grit in understanding what they were learning, but also to encourage people who maybe haven't had that opportunity. They haven't had that fantastic teacher that, that sees that potential or that sees that there's an important step in learning. And yeah, so I, I, while I was at university, I was also a tutor and 
I was on both sides of the coin. So I was like marking students' work and I felt a lot of empathy in that it's very difficult thing to, uh, there's such, there's such nuance in communication between a student and a learn uh, and a teacher. And so I think that, yeah, society wise, if you subscribe to the fast pace and a lot of people don't have a choice, um, because you've, you've got to, you got to live, you've got to eat, you've got to pay your bills. It's, uh, it can be time consuming to stop and to think about what the outcome of this learning is or or why are we learning this or how is this working and all of those uh, all of those steps. So I am I think about that a lot in terms of how we can solve that problem. Um, and how we can inspire. But how? Because because you mentioned at the at the start of the talk, you mentioned a very interesting topic about how law helped you to actually understand the value, mm. the face value versus the future value, mm -hmm. and and how do you define that value? Mm. Because we can connect that to the currency. Okay, so the value means you know you're gonna measure it with with the currency, you know, money. Considering that most, I mean, university is a huge investment for a lot of people and a lot of people go to university based on that, the currency value. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to go this, to do this degree. Mm. And this is how much it's going to cost me. And this is how much I'm going to earn. Okay. Considering that with this huge disruption that is going to come and it's already happening. Mm. What do you think? I mean, what is a tool to actually measure that value now? Uh, it's a tough question, I know. Yeah, I think that that is, is the million dollar question. Um, I think having everyone's drive to go to university is different. The value of university is different for everyone. Uh, and I think the way that it's framed in some instances is a stepping stone to get to a career that you would like to be in, which is in essence what it's for, but on the academic side of it, it is for exploration and pushing boundaries. So it's doing two things at once um, and perhaps servicing depends what you're doing, servicing one of those more than the other. And so the disruption lately with AI mm -hmm. and uh, particularly with large language models, because I don't, like AI has been around for a long time. I think this disruption is the, the broad access to it and therefore the lack of control of it. Um, this disruption has been, this has actually been interesting to my project because it's sort of like, it proved the concept, but it also, if the interaction of feedback is AI based and the interaction of writing is AI based, then we have two computers talking to each other and yep. the, the human element of, of learning is missing. Mm. Uh, and so the, the next steps have to integrate the human elephant ele element, <laughs> not the human elephant. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, right. So that's sort of where my head's at with. So what's the next step? Oh. <laughs> How do you solve that? Uh, because we have been talking about AI, I think, for for four or five sessions mm. about the same topic. And yeah. You have different it's opinions. Just it's, it. Yeah, like, like you said, it just this technology was just you know, put into the world mm. with no, th uh, like, afterthought of how it affects different industries. And now we just kind of figure it out. So this is just another uh, and one. Do of you those. think that we can create a policy around it? Oof. Uh, <laughs> As a, from a law perspective, you know, we're bringing a lawyer into this, you know. Yeah, I think. Can you legalize it? This is like huge, huge stuff. I think that, um, I don't have any of the answers, but I think that the way that it's being handled now by existing legislation is the argument is that it's whatever AI is triggering is covered by a piece of legislation that's like more broad uh, about ethics or about like uh, contracts or whatever the breach is. It's not actually to do with the AI. It's to do with the impact, the impacting. Um, I think that is rapidly becoming outdated like i think that we're going it's sort of like making a law about riding a buggy instead of a car like it's it's we're going to need to adapt to what uh what ai is actually what place it's holding and i i know another um model that they've been using is sort of trying to rank the significance of the ai so it's if it's if it's contributing to surgery, it's mm -hmm. higher regu highly regulated. Whereas if it's uh, I don't know reading your uh, homework and summarizing it, it's quite low on the the uh, importance. That's my understanding of one approach that they're taking. And I don't again, I don't think that will move fast enough to catch up with how fast AI is moving and mm -hmm. being implemented. So. I don't know how they're going to approach it. And I think that globally it's interesting to watch um, business people and academics and professionals talk about how this is going to unfold because no one really is saying the same thing. There's not much cohesion yet about what to do. Uh, and meanwhile, there's a lot of movement happening with the development of or the implementation of AI. So whatever is going to happen needs to happen yesterday. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't quite know what. It, it, it's, I think it's a thought that I had that's interesting is, and what makes the case of AI unique in that perspective is that it's the type of technology that it is, is so different from anything that we've had previously. It's uh, I, to give an example, like if you think about the radio, um, you, you know, this is a piece of technology that exists and it's defined what it does, you know, it emits sound. Um, but, and so when you're, let's say, creating these rule sets or these standards or these, you know, how do you control this technology, whatever it may be around the radio, that's the center of it. Um, you have the assumption that it will always emit sound. Mm. You never have to think, what if one day you'll be able to see picture out of this radio? Yeah. But this problem with AI is that it's not like the radio because what it does today is not what it does tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And the development is so quick. So the unlimited possibilities like last week was it about Taylor Swift and this week about Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, saying 
saying sorry to the families of the young teenagers, you know, the mm. impacts that actually caused wow. in, in, in the Senate. So just, yeah. just so coming just... back to the, to the point that you were mentioning is that, and, and, and like, if you're moving forward and let's say there, I mean, from a law perspective, mm. so how do you measure the impacts then? Because I mean, if, if I'm going to reverse the damage that I'm, you know, I'm going to cause, mm. how do you measure it? <laughs> like, like, how do you make a philosophy around it? Like, where yeah. do you start to actually make philosophy on that? Yeah. Is it, let's put it that way. In our current, uh, like, jurisdictions, mm. do we have anything on that? I don't think so, because you're trying to measure... Um, your, your, well, even if you look at the application of AI in, in law, as in, like, how they're using it in the, the legal field it's it's being used for uh to complement decision making and advice it's not doing that mm. and that that stronghold like i think that's going to be i i totally think it's possible but one of the issues that is at the root of that not progressing at the moment is the bias of how the the llms are fed and one could argue that well humans are biased everyone has a bias and could we then program ai or feed it neutral uh information or could we feed it framework ethical frameworks where we're looking at culturally what in adelaide what's a accepted form of ethics around how to conduct yourself in mm. society how to make decisions and that's where you how do you what about empathy? Well, it's a scary thing to start empathizing with a computer because then you're sort of acknowledging that it's not a computer. No, I, sorry, I should have expanded my question <laughs> more. Um, I meant, I, I meant, like, I was a little shocked. I was like, no, I mean, where are you going with that? I meant in in the in the law in the field of law. Mm. Um, I mean, we talked about um, in the field of like even. Um, what is it like credit assessors for a mortgage, right? Yep. That that a we a, an aspect of that is empathy because you know mm. it doesn't yeah. technically tick all the boxes, but you have to yep. as a human understand the situation. Yeah. And so, I I I'm worried about the fact that empathy will be cut out with AI because yeah. how can you? Yeah, and and that's you know ethics and empathy is not the same thing. And and that's why being a judge is a very. Uh, it's very hard to become a judge because you're put through the tests of your character and your ability to understand the facts of a case and to apply the law to those facts with the right amount of empathy and the right amount of uh, the, the balance of what is good for society and what is just and that is a really difficult job, I would imagine. I've never been a judge, but that is that is why it is hard to become a judge. And do, do you know if judges are being replaced by? I don't. I'm not an expert. In the I field, don't think so. so not yet. Yeah. No. Um, but I don't like you said. Like, it, what is what does tomorrow bring in terms of AI? And I think that in the future, the that's fully a possibility. But it's about how we as society let that be a good or a bad thing so it's how we embrace that as something that's productive for us and to be able to find where that is no longer serving us and 
Yeah. That's that's a very nuanced um, position because who knows? But here's the challenge. Like if I'm if I'm an if I'm a person uh, with a with a regular job going to work and I have a mortgage and I have two kids and all those things, you know, happening. Mm. How a person should respond to that? What do you think? Like, what is it? What is the solution to that? Like, how are we gonna go through this? How are we gonna go through this transformation? Do you believe? Or yeah. what is the, what is the way to go do, through this transformation? Because most, I mean, I don't think jobs gonna be replaced, but it's gonna be transformed, mm. and therefore the income, mm -hmm. and therefore the lifestyle, and therefore the family structure, and therefore how we shape our our community and how we, we shape our society. We have to start making more jobs. <laughs> well, yeah. really, like, I I don't, do we give, do people have a better work-life balance? Is this in a way where we can, uh, the capitalist mind in me is like, that's not how that will pan out. Mm. But the dystopian view is that maybe these these do complement our lives and let us get home by 4 p.m. Or I don't know. Um, so you're so you're optimistic. I am optimistic because I think that we have to be. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the other that, side is not bright. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> or or we don't I have any other choice, is it? <laughs> well, I do. I think it's really important to be um, to be optimistic about these things because, and like to that note, the. I see this in myself sometimes, but the aversion to talking about AI because it's a buzzword, it's almost like boring, like everyone's talking about it, whatever. It's the new hot topic to like put in your slides to present something to make you look like you're across it. That's It's easy to be negative about that, but really it's really important that everyone is talking about it because we don't know who's got the right ideas and we don't know where those are going to come from and where we can use this in productive ways and the more people that can understand it and the more people that do do a bit of a deep dive into it um the more chance we have of coming to some sort of resolution about what is going to happen yeah. what what we can make happen so so yeah i don't i don't know how it'll affect uh the date well it definitely will affect the day-to-day -day life and i think for me my my immediate thought is sort of pre-internet, post-internet, thinking about that change, thinking about how that changed well, globalization in general, just having access to the rest of the world and uh, trade, e-commerce, all of these things that are, um, yeah, if we, you know, if I showed my grandpa what was going on today, I, he would fall over. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tricky question. Do you have any ideas? <laughs> No, that's why we have, that's why we have you here. Um, you did mention previously, and you alluded to this, that you have a business as well in the education field. Mm. Um, could you maybe expand more on that, what it's called, and what would you do in that space? Yeah, so I uh, started a company called Frank Feedback, um, and I worked with uh, students at Carnegie Mellon University here in Adelaide a lot, to 2022 now. Um, uh, to develop like an MVP and it was such an MVP, <laughs> a minimum viable product. Okay. Yes. Um, sorry. it was, <laughs> I'm not an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. 
it was it was a really, really good experience. He actually knows it, so he was asking for the audience. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, That's yeah, fair. it was such a great experience, really. Uh, just to that was sort of my first instance of leading. Well, doing my own thing. I'd had the idea for over ten years, I think. And it's kind of funny that I did it on the year that like that ChatGPT launched and just like obliterated everything just because I yeah because I'd been sitting on it for like yep. years and then we finished the project and I was like oh, um, <laughs> but but it it's inspired me to look at it from different angles and to to reapproach it. So the the business is about yeah encouraging learners to learn properly and to take value out of learning, and my approach to that was creating a feedback platform that made feedback more visual and more interesting for the student but it was time efficient for for lecturers and teachers so they could basically drop data points uh on the written work or whatever work was being done that held information and it was a quick show for the student to be like oh that area is not very good or i can work on that and it didn't have to have comments it could have but it was just sort of that fast pace it's better than getting a single digit in the corner of your paper and being like yeah. where did i go wrong i have no because there's no there's no learning in that process you all you know is like oh cool i got a 70 like but what 30 percent didn't i get or what you know, and the rubrics are kind of um kind of bare when you're at the upper end well in the mid level of uni where it's just like about getting work in and out so that affects a student's confidence greatly you know not being able to know what they know and what they don't know so uh that was my focus and my target audience was to encourage students to feel more confident in their learning in, and also the slight gamification of making it like this doesn't have to be all serious like learning isn't about failing and then never being able to do the thing that you're doing. It's about actually like if you got this bit wrong, you'll probably learn it better than you did the rest of it and you'll probably know it better in the future. Uh, and then it was yeah great working in the university doing that because I was getting feedback from the students and the professor myself and really great feedback. And so, um, yeah, formed a great relationship with, with that crew and they've uh, really helped me to sort of approach the problem over and over and really work out what I wanted to make this product into. And yeah, and then and then ChatGPT came out and I was like, wait, a student's not going to write their own work anymore. So <laughs> which I would dare I would hazard a, a guess that that is rife at the moment. Um, and have I don't you, think have you looked into that? I mean, if the yeah. data behind what students are doing with this AI? Uh, I know that they're, they're trying to use a sort of stoplight system on when it is okay and when it's not okay to use AI in the classroom. Uh, but I just, I can't, you know, having been a student semi-recently myself, if I had ChatGBT, I would have used it. <laughs> yeah. And like... <laughs> you with me? You with yeah. me? Um, All the time. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Like we it's, a, it's a tool. Each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. I've noticed my writing has gotten better since I've been started using it, even without ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah. Just because. Well, sometimes it's just like it gives you this 
you can see see five steps ahead instead of one and you can sort of like oh actually i I do want to go in that direction like i am trying to say this but it actually helped my spelling believe it or not yeah you know it's because i got to the point that i was using other apis to actually check my spelling Mm. and and the grammar and then it wasn't i wasn't learning because it was just instantly checking and fixing but with chat gpt was like i drop a text i say get another text editing I'm like oh wow it's so different and like okay maybe i should rewrite it again and I'm like mm. so it's not really it's like just copy and pasting things mm. so Did, so you think that you were learning better because the other apis were just auto correcting yeah correct whereas with gpt i'm actually interacting through. yeah so and it is becoming really interesting because chat gpt i think the version four it's started to learning from you because it's starting mm. asking questions Mm. So it's like, so you are actually trying to be a digital copy of me now, isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> yeah, that's a I'm, little bit scary. I'm but... talking to a friend and it was like, um, I think it was on the podcast actually earlier. Uh, it was one of the guests and he goes, you know, he's an engineer and he's he's doing work and even he uses ChatGPT for this. Um, and maybe he'll ask like a technical question. And it'll spit out the answer at the bottom. It'll go, please consult an engineer. Yeah. I'm like, I am the engineer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've got to cover themselves, don't they? But, um, but it, that's a, that's a really good and valid point that people, the use of chat, chat GPT is making, it's almost like you're forced to read it to make sure that you're not going to make a fool of yourself yeah. Yeah. in the, in the simplest yeah. um, use of it. So I think. That's actually probably helping a lot of people to cut to the chase on some of their research, or it's showing them exactly where they need to look uh, to find out more. So it's that's how I've used it a lot as well, is to sort of get the base of what I was looking for, and then I go, oh yeah, that's that's actually the field that I want to research in, and that's that's these are the the principles that pop up again and again and again, obviously in these areas. So they're important. So I better know them. Um, yeah. So I don't think necessarily that in the school system using GPTs or any LLM is, um, I don't want to be biased. <laughs> Bard. <laughs> yeah. Using Bard is, I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's to, to act like it is a bad thing and to, uh, put any yeah policy in place to to hamper the use of it is doing a disservice to all of those students and the teachers. Uh, but interestingly, I think policy around those sorts of everyday uses and like students is probably a real it's it's a really hard one because uh, the there's no real clear path in doing it. But approaching how students are going to use it is probably really valuable to look at how policy should work in general around this stuff because it's when is it okay to mm-hmm. not uh, to use this and when is it okay to pass this off as yourself if ever it's and how do we ensure that those two things don't just blend together yeah. um so maybe learning changes maybe the structure of uh, assessments changes. Maybe it's more practical learning that we do in the future. Maybe it's, I yeah, it's we're in a time. <laughs> um. So obviously, with this company that you're developing, you've 
chosen to work with universities. Mm. Have you done much work with high schools or looked into pushing this through in the secondary school uh, section? <laughs> in uh, in concept, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've I've definitely enjoyed thinking about how this could be used at more more interactive levels of learning uh, because my initial the initial product idea was definitely towards universities because of that just speaking from going to like a large public university that it is you can definitely fly under the radar you can definitely be offhand and uh and i think that with high school you know your teacher's name they know your name they know what kind of learner you are you know what that teacher likes you know the style of writing there's they no like escape. Yeah, there's no escape. Yeah. That's the word you're looking for, isn't it? There is no escape. Okay. Well, that can be helpful though if they're yeah. if they're if they're challenging yeah. you in the right yeah. way. But there, yeah, there's potential there. I think for technology to really enhance that connection of communication and where someone where the, the parties do know each other more so, and you can elaborate in feedback, and you can pick up on different learning styles and different students and see maybe this student is more visual learner or maybe this student's an auditory learner or maybe they don't like getting heaps of feedback yeah. on paper but they want to talk to you about where they went wrong or any all of those sorts of things uh there's potential to elaborate the problem solving um and i know that there are pretty cool companies in adelaide actually doing like vr learning mm -hmm. and and augmented reality learning and, and those, they're really cool. And I think that, I mean, anyone who's done VR is like the funnest. It's yeah. just, it's hard to explain how cool it, how it takes over your mind like that. And I wish I had that when I was in school because it just, it's so uh, vivid in experience yeah. that it's hard to not take something from it. So if I was- That's a really good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, if I was being fed information that was useful rather than walking the plank and drawing 3d art or whatever i was doing in vr um yeah i think i would find that immersive experience really helpful for me as a learner much more so than sitting and writing notes or looking at black and white photos on printed out piece of paper have you have you got yourself on a wait list for the apple vision pro no i yeah. was just watching um marquez brownlee I, do you guys watch him yes, on youtube yeah i just watched his uh, early today his take on the the vision pro and it just looks yeah it's too expensive isn't it it's very expensive, it's very expensive. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. very expensive and i'm but not it's yeah. a first yeah, first yeah, generation. Yeah, like, I mean, well, you get one, and yeah. then I'll have a go. Yeah, then... <laughs> Well, I'm a really big um, Formula One fan. Same. Uh, you are. Did you see that video? That, did you see that video that's been going around of the Apple Vision Pro's use of the? Yeah, putting because you can put see augmented. the track. Yeah. Oh, I, and then even in Marquez's video, he puts like a Alfa Romeo. I don't know. Oh no! Don't know no, about no. his choice in so, car, but he puts it in the middle of the his table. room, and yeah. it's a scale. Like, well, this is one scale. I saw where it was like a new way of viewing. A Formula One race where you have the TV, but then, like, let's say on the table, you have the whole track, oh. and you can see live all the cars going around. That's cool, and it's it's an amazing video. It's just it was an artistic interpretation of the use of that, um, and I it's kind of blowing up. I think it's that just is an amazing cool. use. Um, I, I it was completely off topic. Um, well, <laughs> no, it wasn't actually. It was after after. <laughs> actually, no, it wasn't. No, no, that was, was a segue. Really that was a segue. Yeah. But I did want to mention something. Um, no, it's just an a observation I've had, um, and maybe a thought to think about, um, is 
So I, I run a nonprofit as well um, called DEXA. It's about bringing more awareness to what it's like to work in defense as an engineer and bringing more graduates into the defense industry, mm-hmm. um, but also working with high schools to bring students into engineering and, and tech roles. Um, and we're slowly developing this um, pr- program for year, year 11 students. It'll be a stage two um, course. It'll go for a year. It's like a competition. Um, they'll, we're trying to push the creative use of STEM. So STEM is a way to creatively express yourself. So literally, no, yeah, it's like, <laughs> don't, you know, it, it's been pushed so much as a problem solving tool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But we're like, you know what? Even if you want to build something that doesn't solve any problem and it's just fun. I agree. You know, do it. Totally agree. Most exactly. of the interesting things actually build out of fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Not a purpose, you know. And you then just, you figure it out you, you just figure out, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. it actually exists. Okay, I'm going to tweak it and I'm like, oh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> he's, he's actually solving that problem. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, we, so we're developing this uh, program and I'm just talking to a couple of teachers. We talked to the SACE board and one of the teachers, one of my friends, um, brought up an issue, which I didn't even think was an issue, but she said that some schools are very open to the use of AI. Mm. And we're doing this as a statewide thing mm-hmm. and as a, almost like a competition. Um, it's not really, but it's more of a challenge. But um, And some schools are not open to the use of AI. And she brought up the fact that it's getting really interesting in the space of inter-school competitions mm. um, because, you know, if if a team of students in one school gets to use AI and a team of students in the other school don't, just because of the school's policies, they have an unfair advantage. Yeah. And so it's interesting to, it's going to be interesting to see how yeah. do you set the playing field there? Because schools ultimately do still have some control over mm. how curriculum is taught, you know? Mm. That is, yeah, an interesting thought. And I just, it, it makes me wonder of the schools that aren't embracing that yet. They may maybe need an appeal of, you know, we need to get together on this. And so that might come under the the general regulation of everything one day as well, that there must be permitted access in learning environments or, um, but I also know that there's with every, everything in technology there there are barriers to entry. And so some kids might not have access to the internet even still. Um, so how are they going to go if they're, if the rest of the class is on AI doing their homework. Yeah. And so there's, there's a place to be sensitive about that. So, yeah, I think that, uh, th- that's an interesting concept to, yeah. to so how do you, I didn't even think about it. Yeah. How do you, we, we haven't thought about that. <laughs> how do you balance but then, that but out? Then you, you're facing another challenge because then if you, let's say, forget about AI, but then if one is school, the kids are richer than the other school, then prominently the kids that have richer parents, they're going to access to much more prominent tools, not only AI, on the computers and the apps and everything They've around. They've got the Apple Vision Pros. Vision Pros yeah. versus the other ones that do not have access to that. Mm. And so how do you bridge that gap? I mean, then how do you measure success? Mm. Yeah, I mean, out of that, like... So yeah, where's you, the meaning in, where's the, the meaning, merit? Where is the merit in it? Mm. Like uh, to, to to measure that, so because it ties into back into then say to create that playing field, you know when they become adult, do we need a universal basic income? Well, to to have a starting point, not something that you know people just be generous and all of that, but mm. as a playing field, you know mm. that you know. Oh, you, so you, you, so square. 
Square zero is even for everyone. Yeah, mm. correct. So, so you, it cannot. Yeah. In a, in many others, you know, you cannot just say, you know, I'm paying you this much and then everything is balanced because it's also about the mind wiring and all of that. But do you agree with that? Do you, do we need to create that playing field? Um, and yes, if yes, how? And if no, why? <laughs> uh, part of me wants to say yes, part of me wants to say no. I think that obviously there's, there is that, that utopian vision of mm. everyone having equal access and equal understanding even of what AI mm. is and how to use it. Um, but that's, I think realistically that's not going to be the case. And I think that even just the way that, uh, open AI are handling, well, have handled their non-for-profit versus profit agenda and moving in, uh, I mean, we, it's, it's making money, <laughs> these these yes. products are making yeah. money. Yes, yeah. Um, so with it going in that direction, probably my ideal solution or how to move forward is to inform those in power or those who have the access or the, the wealth or the good fortune to have that access on how to that, that, that not everyone has it, inform them of that and to have them as, uh, understand the power and have a sense of altruism and using it. So, I mean, I think that it's, it's almost like you were saying before currency mm. again, it's, it's, it, it's the same belief of should anyone be mega wealthy? What if they're using it to help other people? So look, I believe in capital values, mm. but also I see social values as part of that capital mm. sense, mm -hmm. because we need to have all of that. Mm. But where I find it difficult is to draw a line that how do you define that? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. the other thing is like, you cannot push a lot of people to go digital. No. Most people are not interested in that, which I find it really interesting. Constantly. Do you think that will change? As the generations move through, you're the guest. So I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult question. I don't know. Yeah. No, we, we have we have, we have been discussing I on think that. So. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think it's about how you're raised and how you've learned to create value in the world. Yeah. And so as you as you go through generations, um, like I learned to create value. Oh, like a really good example is like CAD. As I'm an engineer, when I design like a mechanical model, I learn to create value by modeling it in 3D. I don't even think about drawing by paper. Mm. Um, but if you ask one, hey, if you ask my dad, he's also an engineer. He doesn't. He likes doesn't like yeah. CAD. He likes to use a pencil. Yep. Um, but yeah, as the generations go through, it's it will be able to create value faster and with the new technologies. But um, at the end of the day, it's like um, Adrian Newey. Um, uh, Chief Technology Officer at Red Bull Racing. Have you read his autobiography? I haven't. Amazing book. <laughs> he still draws on a drawing board, everything. Um, and that's because that's how he 
thinks and how he works and he creates amazing cars best cars in f1 um but and that's for all now. done for now that's <laughs> that's all done by, that's all done by paper still so it's yeah. I, it's i think i think the world moves at a pace that it's natural and how the people comfortable mm. with it and i know it's the old technology is exciting but like you said, AI has been around for a long time. Things are changing with large language models. I mean, mm. Mark has been working with AI since he was a kid and yeah. back in Iran. So <laughs> AI really has been around a long time. Probably last year. Yeah. You know, that I was actually in the field. <laughs> <laughs> they keep telling you about it. You're like, uh, yeah, no, I've been working in this for yeah, yeah, yeah. a decade. Like by, yeah, more than that. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was into it since all the, I mean, I was into games, mm. not playing games, but actually building games, mm. you know, game mm -hmm. theories and all of that since it was, a, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something i don't remember first time but um but i couldn't really speak to anyone because you know, yeah who do you talk to yeah. about these things yeah. and you know apparently chat gpt technology is like 20 years old mm. mm -hmm. it's not brand new into the market you know because i've been training it for years and years and years and years so we just have access to the processing power now and also yeah. the data and that's yeah. how it's actually working but the technology itself yeah. has been yeah. there the ideas has been there for 20 years yeah. yeah so with the with the company that you run um i wanted to know what your mission statement was and and i think it was really well defined to me is that like i want to know what the impossible goal is that you're never going to reach you know what i mean yeah i do um so i actually worked i did a a program with business sa the young entrepreneur program and they were hammering this into us, which was helpful to think about it constantly in terms of like purpose, mission, and what are we shooting for? And I think with Frank feedback, it was about uh, what, I was, what I was shooting for was to get every student interested in learning in the way that I felt I was interested in learning. That was my selfish sort of lofty goal of being able to give uh give students access to a way to find meaning through their education um and the mission statement was was then that i wanted to we wanted to uh to make feedback uh, what, what, do, I don't know what verbatim anymore. No, 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 fair enough. <laughs> to make, uh, to make feedback accessible for students and to make it, um, effective for teachers. So it was about bridging the gap, which felt huge for me personally and for, um, for colleagues of mine that they at university felt when they were learning between their teachers, like, my teachers didn't, my lecturers didn't even know my name or face or you, you literally were your number. Yeah. You weren't allowed yeah. to put your name on things. So you're a number in a huge pile of um, essays. And I, yeah, I felt that was an ineffective communication loop and I wanted to close the feedback loop. So that's sort of. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and you said that not every student is getting that value out of learning um what do you think why do you think that is uh i think that sort of what like going back to what we were talking about before in terms of currency i think that the the drivers for learning are different for everyone and also 
the well there's also an access issue there as well in terms of what not even what level of education they're getting but it's students you need to be understood by your educator to an extent to have that reciprocal loop of this is what because there's a power imbalance in learning inherently but the teacher knows more than the student yeah. <laughs> and they are leading that that the learner to a place where they need to uh, then assess how much they've been able to lead that student in in a way it's it's quite a but that anyone who's learnt something or learnt something on their own knows that that's not exactly how it works there's there's something that's uh intrinsic to learning about who you are and like what your interests are and what your values are and what your drivers are so um yeah i think that closing that loop for teachers and students i forgot what you asked me <laughs> oh i, I sorry <laughs> the, the, the mission statement you know, yeah, yeah but then but then why like what what are students missing you oh know? yeah uh, like why are they not making the most of the opportunity that they have well even just again what i was sort of uh, geared towards in terms of feedback was assessments is mm. are these assessments actually proving that you've learned something or are we encouraging students to learn to pass this assessment and there that's i'm not it's not that i'm uh questioning a system that has worked very well for a very long time, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I kind of am as well, is that I think that there is room to adjust the way that we think about learning and assessing students to capture this, the varied drivers of learning and to encourage people to actually want to learn the content of their course in, in a sense that it's going to value their basically learning how to think yeah rather than learning how to do because once once you can think about what you're doing you can apply that pro that process across the board whatever you're doing mm -hmm. um yeah and i think that that's like a really key difference and that's something that i learned from that great teacher that i had was she was able to teach me how to think about the work i was doing and then everything not only did it relieve me of that like fraught sense of what do they want? You get an assignment and it seems like arbitrary nonsense. You're like, what, how is this, a, is this even the right course? <laughs> yeah. You're triple checking like, yeah, no, this is my course. Like, how does this work into, how does this fit into this larger web of my learning? And then if you're able to think about, oh, even thinking about like keywords and questions and things, you can be like, oh, they're asking me about what techniques, or they're asking me to think analytically about this, or they're asking me to create something, then you're already like, oh, I can do that. And then yeah. you're applying that to, a, a, you're honing that in on a subject. Yeah. You're standing there with the confidence to be like, I can give that a go. That's fine. Mm. So. Yeah. When you look at the assessment sheet, you go, they don't know what they're doing. I can do this so much better than them. <laughs> and then you get to the end of the summer, it's like, oh, that's what they yeah, are doing. <laughs> yeah. You figure out what they're trying to ask yeah. you. <laughs> The journey is missing what you what I'm hearing from you guys is like from the point A to point B, you know, everyone knows 
just start and finish. Mm. But they don't really know yeah. what the journey, exactly. why the journey is going going through this journey, and what I'm going to get at each part of this journey, yeah. which is going to help me for that. Yeah. And that was going back to my initial question. It's because we have lost the value mm. and the currency of the meaning of what what I'm actually learning for, yeah. and why I'm actually learning for, and because you know the knowledge is becoming vast. Mm. You know, you you just can't. You know, even in one field, it's yeah. it's so becoming so deep that you know you just don't have time. You know, to learn everything, so you have to be effective. And and also, like, is there a the, the argument about using the ac our access to technology, and we've all got a smartphone that we can Google mm -hmm. things, and and even in my lifetime, learning that's changed drastically on mm. like memorizing rote learning so is there an argument to say like you'd actually be silly you don't actually need you don't memorizing need to know if, you don't if need you actually to know everything. memorize things you're actually you're wasting of, your time you're wasting your time but is it an is it an argument well i mean, I mean does it work in the favor of if you can think about and and like we were talking about before with uh with using large language models it's if you your potential to use that is uh, is ingrained in your understanding of what you're actually looking for as well. So it's, it, if you're if you can think and you know how to think and how to be critical and how to assess what information you're giving, when when you're putting something into a, a model and it spits something out, you can then know. Hang on a minute, that's not that's not what I want, or mm -hmm. that's wrong, or I thought it was something else. And so even though you don't know the, you don't have the knowledge You have a perception se, of it. You're able to think about that and yep. then, and use your deductive reasoning too. So there is still a very human element in using it effectively, but that's not to say that that won't be, <laughs> that won't be captured. Um, By AI? Yeah, as mm -hmm. as things develop, maybe already exist. Um, I but, think it already. He knows. Well, what, what do you know about you know AI <laughs> taking decisions about you know whether you trust AI more than? Oh, you saying I know because I use AI. Yeah. yeah, I I'm so yeah. It's it's every day in my life. Um, I, even I was talking to like previous guests. Um, if you have the ChatGPT app now with the four, um, there's the new feature where you can talk to it. Um, but not like a previous assistant because you don't have to, you can have a normal conversation and it'll know when you've stopped talking mm. and it'll start speaking back to you. And so he, I haven't tried this, but he was like, sometimes I just go for a walk and I just put headphones on and turn the app and just, you can just talk <laughs> like it's a human, which is pretty Wow. Funny. Yeah. Well, well, and, and the what other. What happened to the romantic life? Do you, no, do you so... get to choose its voice? And... <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit scary <laughs> to be honest. Well, it, the really scary part is that um, I was listening to a, a um, Stephen Bartlett's one. He had mm. a, an expert on AI on. Uh, it was actually an ex. It was actually a historian, not an AI expert. But um, history tends to repeat itself, and and he he's he written he's wrote the book Sapiens. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't know the name of the guy. Noah Harari. Yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> well, he Homo he, sapien, sapien, and then Homo sapiens. Yeah. Is it Homo sapiens? No, yeah. just sapiens, I think. Um, anyway, um, regardless of the point. Um, there are two was, books I know. Oh, really? Yeah. He was, he was saying that there, 
every human can be put on a scale um and it's it's iq and eq right mm. it's like yeah intelligence and emotions right yeah. and people there's some people that are high on both or usually it's a case of give and take or there's usually some people that are low on both right um and and he he talks about the fact that ai is so unique because it's infinite intelligence and zero emotional intelligence mm. right infinite iq zero eq it can maintain a lot of information and have no awareness of what you how you think and has no feelings and the, the great way he talked about it was that an AI will beat you in chess a million times but will feel no joy when it does <laughs> yeah you know what i mean but 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 then the danger of it is that is that the an AI is a self-learning tool and eventually with trial and error, testing with multiple different people, it will learn that an AI is most effective when the user trusts it. And for the user to trust it, you have to gain that trust, right? Mm. Um, and, and it'll, through trial and error, it'll figure out what to say to, to provoke an emotional response from the user um, to gain trust. So it's like it's because so it's it, like an empathy. Yeah, no, but it's fake. It, because it, 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 it is it is a fake empathy because I say something that you like. Yeah, correct. To gain, so to gain that's your not trust. empathy. That's manipulation. So well, that, this is the I know, goal. I know, is, no, no, I know. Hate to break but, it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a manipulation, but it is using emotions because to be able to actually manipulate something logically, you don't do it. Yeah, so you, you you emotionally manipulate some something correct. or someone, mm. but you don't okay. have to have a feedback loop to do that. Oh yeah, sure. That's the thing. So, yeah. so the scary part is that you could have this infinitely intelligent being, um, no, I don't know if it's a being, but um, AI mm -hmm. um, that knows that the best way for it to be utilized, if it if the user trusts it. And the best way to get the user to trust it is to emotionally manipulate it to do so, even though the AI is just getting an objective and it's not trying to do any of this, just, you know, trying to do the best thing it can. Um, and ultimately you get a, you get a being with infinite intelligence, but then also fake emotions mm -hmm. that are infinitely effective. And, and it, it, it's just an interesting point because you can replace humans. No, I, I'm saying like, okay, I'll give you the reason, right? Um, one of the points that we always make is that, you know, oh, AI can't take every job, right? Because mm. some jobs you need that human mm. input, whatever you call human input, right? Um, human judgment. Human judgment, but even just empathy and like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the good example is that, you know, letting a patient know that they have cancer, mm. right? As a doctor. Yes, you can take the data and get that diagnosis, but being able to connect to a patient and letting them know and seeing their response and, you know, adjusting accordingly. You can make a heart attack by saying that, you know, there's, you know, yeah. they're having cancer. So that's, <laughs> that's sure. Um, but like yeah. the doctor is able to do that so effectively because the doctor is also taking in and feeling, yep. you know, human being. Um, but soon you'll be able to replicate that without the feeling. And so, it, and so the, the problem that a doctor has in doing this, is that a doctor can't go through a hundred cancer diagnoses a day because it's so emotionally draining on them as well. They're human beings. Mm. But if an AI is faking this, it can. Mm. What's the problem? Oh, that's what you said. What's the harm? Well, it's like if it, if it can do it, if, if it's so good that it's working, yeah. 
does it matter if it's faked empathy or not? I think that's, I mean, as a human <laughs> in society, of course, that scares, uh, scares me. And it's very like tra trajectory, I robot that way. But I think in, yeah, if you think about it critically, is that, is where do we define if that's good or bad? And how do we work out if, if it's faking this emotion, but it's still doing a noble task and it's, it's not, yes. And the other question is, how do you know, are we are, are humans as beings, we are, are we at our max capacity of the intelligence as a, as a human being? I hope I'm not. I mean, no, no, I'm just asking because I don't yeah. think we have discovered ourselves as much that how, what we can yeah. do with our brain mm. or with our body and have you actually pushed the limits yeah. of, mm. of the intelligence ourselves. And I think it's because as humans, we become lazy, um, you know, in a sense that we have forgot about why we are here and why we why we are doing things that we're doing it because mm -hmm. that's the purpose and meaning in life and we are only dependent on a very narrow-minded you know alley of life that you know every, everything has to be set and we do this and do We've that and, yeah mm -hmm. so i think that's i mean the ai just puts a reality in front of the people and say that life could be much more than that mm. yeah well, and, and a lot of people are just back of life. Well, I even think that th that AI changes what we value as intelligence, Correct. because mm -hmm. I think, and I'm a hardware engineer, so if, if I could put a computer aspect into this, I think before large language models and AI, generative AI, intelligence was like equivalent to like storage, mm. right? It's not, how much storage. Not the processing, but the storage. Right. Yeah. Now it's not about storage anymore. You can have infinite storage. It doesn't, you don't need to remember anything. Yeah. Now it's about how do you use the information mm -hmm. processing. About the journey. It's about the journey. It's <laughs> about and, and the story. Mark says this thing. It's like, uh, this something he mentioned before. It's we're going to have like, there's going to be a lot more philosophers in the future. Yeah. Cause mm. philosophers learn how to think. Yes. How to ask questions. Mm -hmm. I think that's a skill that is so valuable now. I mean, I've read it somewhere. It's not mine, so don't quote on me. But they say the question is way more important than the answer. Mm -hmm. So if you find the question, because the answer changes by the time, but if you ask the right question, yeah. that defines the life. And I think we, I mean, personally, I think we all lost the question at the moment. So mm -hmm. um, we're trying to find the question again. Okay. Um, religious used to be part of that question and some of the answer it still is mm. by the learn of it i mean by by the teaching not every not every religion by the way i don't think so but it's 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 sort of like it's putting people in a position to think again mm. what is why we are here and what is the meaning of life why why we're we doing things the way we're doing Okay, not just close our eyes and come and do repetitive tasks and go home. Mm. And that's the scary part for a lot of people. 
because that's a meaningful part of it, isn't it? Yeah. And, and yeah. that defines the currency as well. Yeah. And I think that something I've noticed the older I get is that I feel like I'm able to define those questions more clearly hmm. rather than it feeling like it, like teenage angst through to like twenties, figuring out, and then you start to ask those questions and you're like, oh, that's what I'm, that's what I've been trying to work out. Mm -hmm. And then usually if you're on the right track with those questions, the answer is another question <laughs> and it, you that's again, with this learning initiative is like, you're constantly, uh, humbled by what you don't know and having that, the confidence to ask those questions of yourself, but also of peers and people that you can learn from is like the most invaluable way to fulfill your potential. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, well, but that, you know, out of personal interest of what I've been on, onto the journey, and I think Beijing has been as well, but when do you think it's the right age? Because what you're, what you're approaching with that, with that method of learning, you're putting people at a very early age to facing that such a big question. So mm, mm. Do you think that's fair? I think it's fair, but what do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that, uh, it's not so much a timeline thing, but it's a, it's sort of a, like leaving the door open, so to speak. It's if you can show, if you can allow for that to be encouraged, then whenever that person arrives, mm -hmm they could walk through that door. So yeah, for me, I was in high school when my, well, probably before then, probably like being raised by a like a wonderful father who was able to uh, understand that all of us kids were different and that we were learned differently and that we were able to problem solve differently. And then you, you're sort of seeing the world through your lens but it's like, it's almost like it's being cleaned because you're able to pursue your interests and your strengths and work on your weaknesses. And uh, just by observation of people like others, I don't think everyone's afforded that sort of support through their learning phases. Mm -hmm. And so giving people a strong sense of self from a young age then leads them to be able to ask those questions at whatever point. But I think it does come sooner because mm -hmm. they're at, they're at that point where they can, yeah, ask those like, do I need to do this subject or do I want to do this sport after school? Even just little things like that are, are feeding your narrative of what you want to do with your life and how you want to arrive at that point of being like, oh, this is, this is my interest. This is what I'm good at. This is what I need to work on. And all of those things are okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, we, in the education system, we often strive for, you know, equal opportunity. And that's kind of what we're going for with getting everyone access to that. You know, like mm. you said, not everyone does have access to that. Mm. Um, not everyone has an amazing father like you obviously had. <laughs> um, but um, how can we equal the playing field, playing field and give everyone that equal opportunity. But um, I don't know, I, I often see it in media that we kind of go down the path of equal outcome or strive for that inadvertently. And mm. it's not always the case. Like engineering is a great example. Like you're never going to have 
the same number of females and males because yeah. it's just people are built differently, right? But different interests, different interests, yeah, yeah. It, and it, that's perfectly fine and it's yeah. normal. Um, yeah. but as well as you, you know, you're not gonna get 50 50 psychologists, yeah, in yeah, society. exactly, right? Yeah. Um, in every in every yeah. role, you yeah. can apply this, but um, do you think we've come a, a long way at all? Like, I know you're in the education space and mm. you've been an educate, you've been both a student and you know, in yeah. Have you been a teacher? No, no. Well, I was a tutor, but yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, so, I'm, I'm, so I'm trying to simplify the question that he's asking, and I'm very straightforward. Do you think this war between men and women that is going to go simpler? <laughs> you know, that is happening all all across, and, um, and, and, and I'm seeing it. You know, because I have colleagues who come from Europe, and they're mm. like, "Oh, it's way back in the Europe. We're done with that. You know, we have, we already moved on. We already sorted these things out." But it feels like in uh, Australia, we are just far away from it so as in as in in europe they're not they don't want to try and solve that problem anymore or that, that, they that have problem equality? that that problem is already passed so yeah. they're not trying to sort of go they're not trying to push equal um right. outcome. every uh, yeah, yeah. You know, outcome but they're trying to create i mean they already created that playing field but yeah. it's up to the public you know yeah, if, yeah. if there are and they've accepted that and and they already accepted if there are more people if they're more female interested in 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 psychology because it's it suits their nature because yeah. that's what they feel comfortable with and if they're less comfortable with engineering that's their choice that's you're not okay. gonna yeah. that's you're not gonna push to just you said you're gonna make my question simpler <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, with more straight because I was trying. I was like, he's, tr he's trying to ask a question. Like, what do you think in yeah, the space? Um, yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I have like quite a strong feeling about this in the sense that I totally agree that if whatever you're interested in, whoever you are, go for it. And so it kind of comes back to that point of like, if you know yourself, I don't think that the issues surrounding the gender inequality is that if someone's being punished for being a female who's interested in psychology that's a problem yes but it shouldn't be uh seen even take you know a housewife or a stay-at-home mom or whatever you want to call it that's a very noble job and if a woman wants to do that and to raise their children which is the future that shouldn't be frowned upon as though they're not as um ambitious or that's a paid job <laughs> someone uh, taking up a, yeah. a truck parking next door <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> um so like in terms of the role that role is as long as they're respected for whatever their choice is everyone should be encouraged to do whatever they they want to do and mm. same for if, if if a woman wants to be an engineer they shouldn't be seen as less a, a less good engineer mm. but having the opportunity to go and become an engineer is like is everything that they need to make that step and i know that it's not as cut and dry as that and there's a lot of gray area in how women are treated in the workplace um and biases and and things like that which are totally fair and valid and need to be addressed uh but it's almost maybe what the european model is that it's a case-by-case -case basis now of mm -hmm. like is there actually yeah. and how can we deal with any sort of uh hurdles for this man or woman in this situation they're in uh but generally speaking teaching people to know themselves having confidence in themselves leads them to be 
what they want to be, no matter what it is. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, speaking with some people that are really passionate about the space, especially in the engineering space, trying to get, it's not trying to, when I say trying to get more girls into engineering, I'm saying trying to get girls that are interested in engineering to pursue that as a career because mm. showing them that that's an option that they yeah. have. Um, what we found is that there's a lot of struggle with judgment as well mm. from their friends. Mm. Um, you know, if you, if you're 14 and you really love tech, um, yeah. and you are in school and you notice that, oh, if I want to do what I like, there's only boys around me that like, yeah. that, you know, um, and I'm, which I mean, isn't you... a bad thing or a problem. No, no, no. It, it's not. <laughs> but I, I do but understand. You see what I'm no, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's, there's a, there's a barrier pressure. that they, How did you there's find a social it? pressure. You were, you were obviously really into tech as well. I'm sure at a younger age as well. Yeah. Um, How was your high school experience? You probably have Friends. a lot of brothers. I do have brothers. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably brothers. like, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I come from like an all male household, but I actually went to an all girls school, yeah, which yeah. was an interesting contrast. Um, I found that I've, I probably am naturally because of my interests, uh, more comfortable with men in terms of a social setting of just talking about, yeah, things like F1, not that like girls aren't into it, but I don't have any female friends that are into just as a example. So if it, if it leads into tech and I'm talking to more men about tech, then so be it. Like it's, it's not about, I'm not, I am not, um, and maybe I'm not a good example, but I'm not dissuaded by the gender of the person I'm talking to about something I'm interested in. I'm just talking about something I'm interested in. Of course. And so maybe I was a, a little less affected by my social setting. But having said that, I did do a roundabout way of getting into it and law was very female oriented. I think there's far more. Is it? Yeah. There's yeah. far more female graduates than wow. male graduates now. Um, um, I mean, how are the practicing lawyers? Yeah. So I think that, wow. that, uh, that. that it's, it's in the last 10 years or so it's, it's shifted and it's, it's becoming a female dominant. Well, isn't that interesting though? Because, uh, I don't know, maybe I, this is me talking out of absolute ignorance. Um, but, I've, I've read a lot of studies that say that um, the system of teaching uh, of education, especially in high school and universities, especially in high school, um, girls that are in that age range of 17, 18, doing year 12, um, are much more academically capable than a lot of guys in the same age range because their brains are not in the same place that mm. a woman's is. So if, if you go look at Australia, such as an ATAR system, I'm curious to see the gender uh, distribution a, I have of a, higher delivery. I have a correction on that. It's just not me. It's what Jordan Peterson mm. says. And he says that our schools is not fit for boys. Mm. So our education systems, that's why the boys have you know, yeah, they experience the world in a different way. Yeah, but because I, of their hormones at that age. Correct. Yeah. You know, and, and 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 you can't put boys in the school in the class for eight hours. Yeah, it's not built not for not even two hours. Yeah, it just drives them insane. Yeah, they have to well, go. Maybe I was on the boy side with that as well. <laughs> yeah, you had that as well. <laughs> but look, but 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 that's 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 a different and men and women function differently yeah but what i'm saying was that like if you you know the atar system is a percentage ranking right of your of how good you are mm. compared mm. to every other student and like law seems very interesting um but you know what if i only figure that out when i'm 20 
And I yeah. can't go back and do year 12 and yeah. get a better ATAR to even get into well, law in the first place. In so. a lot of, I think South Australia may, don't quote me, but be the last uh, state that has undergrad med and law. And I think a lot of that interstate, particularly with medicine, is so that students go and study an undergrad yeah. in something and figure out what they want to do. And then they commit to a quite elaborate, intensive, well, you sort of get on the train at that point, especially with medicine. Like you. Flinders just, University is, but Adelaide University not. Yes. No, yeah. Mm. Um, so that's very interesting. Yeah. So they're trying, so they, they do try and break it up a bit because I don't think that when you're, well, 17, yeah. deciding what you, if you want to be a doctor locking or a it lawyer. In. And or, there's a lot of social pressure because there's a lot of cliche on that. If yeah. you're a girl, yep. you're going to do this. And if you're a boy, you're going to do this. And then, and that's, and that's something that, yeah. like I was saying before about being a stay at home mom, I find it, it's hard to, if you are, there's a lot of pressure on women, uh, who are pursuing a career or doing academics to maintain that in the face of their biology. Um, yeah. And their career is often at, at a point where it's it's critical or taking off at the time in their childbearing years. And it's a really difficult, it's really hard when there's a general expectation that you're sort of letting your career down by having children. And that's, that's a really hard thing to juggle because yeah. I think that a lot of women deal with trying to understand how they can not feel bad doing either of those things. And it feels like a lose-lose when if we were to respect the role of the mother in which seems to be outdated um, and, and for some reason, like recently that's been a real unpopular thing to say, but if, if you can respect that, then it's, about you're not putting that pressure on a woman to be, you know, a yep. partner in a law firm or a, a, a whiz um, mechanic mm. or whatever they're doing and be a mother to an infant that needs them. <laughs> like that's, that's a huge mm. responsibility and I think that that's a really hard socially with the – like maybe what that person was talking about in terms of Australia being we're behind is that we've shot ourselves into this direction of what's the, how do we actually resolve this It's problem? a big conflict. Yeah. And how do we, do, how do we resolve the problem that now you need a dual income and now you need, you need a you lot of these things to survive raise a child. without actually second income. Yeah. And I'm so. I'm not saying this. I mean, the stats are saying this, you know, so, you, so you can't pay your mortgage yeah. and have two kids. And have a decent life yeah without without a second income yeah and it's, it's a very hard big and of course women should uh pursue their careers and th it's it's about choice doing what you want to do and and um and having the choice to do that and the ability to do it but there is a really difficult point in a woman's 20s 30s where it's like okay well you have to pick yeah, well, it, it feels like that. Even though I don't think it no. is like that, it there's there's a but social even then, pressure. I think you have to pick priorities. You do. Well, you, you can need do to reprioritize. Yeah, but you will always pick one as more important over the other. And and, and so in in the gender conversation, mm -hmm. that can't be ignored. That's a huge factor in 
in what in how a woman's career is goes mm. that's a, that's a huge um component and it's also it does a disservice to women to pretend like that's not the case i think it's actually more empowering to acknowledge that being a mother is a noble thing to be mm. uh than to be like oh I guess I'll like plan that I'll have my kids at this point because then my career will be at this point. That's just not mm. reality. It seems like everything become, and it, it turns everything to mechanical. Yeah. Rather than emotional, like even your mm. emotional life depends on so many variables mm. that are not emotions anymore. It's not your feelings. This is actually circumstances of the life that it actually yeah. defines for you. But my question is going back to the currency. Do you think that? Because the way we actually measure the income is actually based on the mostly based on the hour, mm. not based on the performance mm. at the moment. Mm. So you do certain amount of hours mm. in the job, and then you get this amount of money, mm. not based on your performance. Mm. Of you know, I'm gonna. It's a whole debate around yeah. as AI <laughs> is bringing it up. But do you think that would help that? Uh, because then consequently we're going to change policies. Well, yeah, I'm naturally a very task-based, task-oriented person. Mm -hmm. So if I can get the work done in four hours, so be it. If it takes me 20 hours, then that's, you know, I, as long as it's the task is a, an achievable task mm -hmm. and realistic for mm -hmm. the work that I'm doing, then I will much, I, I don't. I find it stressful to think about timing. Yep. How because that's in the way of my my actually actual ability to do the mm -hmm. work. And also if if I can write uh 2000 words on x subject faster than you can that I shouldn't be punished for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so, you shouldn't punish efficiency. No, yeah. and and it also shouldn't. And it's it's like I think there's a a more personal thing to that in that it shouldn't make you question your uh, validity and your ability. If if you can do it fast, often my default is oh it mustn't be good enough, and so yeah. So it's I I think that the time measure I understand why it exists and how it frames structure, but I think that. Um, the boss that I would love to be would be to set tasks and have these tasks and negotiate with the people that are doing the tasks, you know, what, how do you maybe go and have a go at it for a little bit and see how long it's going to take and then get back to me. And then we can factor in planning how this is going to fit into a bigger scope of works. But yeah, I don't think that the, I would hate to be sitting in a job looking at the clock. Mm -hmm. Look, I mean, the reality of the, I mean, what you have been discussing for the last hour or so, you are literally deconstructing the current society and trying to reconstruct <laughs> it. I mean, Nothing's actually, working. Aren't we without, all? <laughs> without actually saying it directly, but the way it is, at the moment you go to university, get a degree, get a certificate, and then you go and lawyer, architects, medical doctor or something like that, get a certification after that so mm. exam, then you are licensed to do something. Mm. And then you go and do a practice mm. and then suddenly all of that is going to be disrupted because the knowledge, the process of the data to information to knowledge is actually disrupted mm. because it's just so much faster and we're moving so much faster. So 
and that's that's the whole debate of it that you know an eight hours of job may not be required anymore mm. okay yeah. then how do you measure the value mm. well, well it goes back to the um the, like even just what you were saying about mothers and working it's like you know you want to you want to have meaningful work to do mm. um you're also not going to be a mother forever. Mm. You know, kids are going to grow up and move out. We will be. Hopefully, you will, sorry, sorry. Hopefully you will just be a mother not like. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say that again. You will not be a full-time mother forever. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> you, as in, you will not be a caretaker forever. You will, yeah. you, will, you know, the kids yeah. will move out. What are you going to do with your life? Mm. You know, like, again, the system's not built for it. You can't just take an 18-year gap from your career. Yeah, no, no. Um, so it's. How do you add value? And I, I really think working the whole, after COVID, the whole working from home situations, it's definitely directionally correct. Yeah, um, I agree. Having the flexibility to be a mother and also stay at home and mm. kind of do both a bit more efficiently. Mm. I think that uh, working from home is, is it, it allows, it unveils more opportunity for people to discover uh a new rhythm and in that rhythm i think comes with like exploration of hobbies obviously not while you're working but you're at you, you don't have to commute and your your frame of mind is 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 different it's different than being in an office and the politics are different and, and all of those little bits and pieces change and it, it puts you in a space of being like oh maybe i will go for a bike ride after work or oh maybe i will like you know do whatever you want to do and then those hobbies like that's that's sort of like you know when you're out with your friends on the weekend you want to talk about the stuff you're into not your work yeah. week yeah. well I, for me anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you i i don't the glorification of like workaholic and the hustle culture is is i hope a passing fad because it's the work-life balance like that's the important thing to have something to do when you are retired or whenever after after work on a tuesday or whatever like you guys doing a podcast like that's it's all it's all part of like you having a purpose and feeling like you want to pursue things beyond the things that pay your bills what do you do that's beyond what pays your bills <laughs> i'm just curious now <laughs> well i i still love playing my guitar and mm. piano um behind closed doors and uh wow. i love running yeah. I'm a runner. Um, Did you do parkrun? Sorry? Did you do parkrun on Saturday? Uh, I actually haven't done a parkrun yet, but really? I, I run at the same time, but on the other end, of, other side of the park, and I watch them. <laughs> <laughs> I need to work out the confidence to go in a parkrun. Um, but, yeah, I love uh, – I'm so originally from the country in the mid-north. I love going there and doing whatever is going on there. So – like camping and all sorts. So yeah, I just like, I feel like my life is full of, mm. and I genuinely love tech. Like I love playing with toys, like new phones and computers and just like figuring stuff out and playing with new software, whatever. So that's like, that's why I know sort of that I'm in the right space because it's sometimes it's hard to delineate between work and pleasure because I'm enjoying what I'm doing. So we really are living in the best that humanity has ever had to offer. Hey? Yeah. Like yeah. No other generation, no other time period would someone be able to experience this much. The nineties were pretty good, but <laughs> yeah. Okay, sure. 
<laughs> no. Well, um, well, I think we're just about time to close off. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you to coming on as a guest. And thank I've, you for having me. I've never actually talked this long with a lawyer before. I'm actually yeah. my first time. It won't give you time. Um, I'm a lot less scared yeah. of lawyers now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I learned so much and it's so cool what you're doing. And uh, like, I'm just out of uni, like literally two years ago. So hearing, thank you, <laughs> hearing all the work you're doing with the feedback, I can really resonate with that. I personally, it's, I'm so much of a iterative person. So the problem with the assessment system for me was that I like to fail first mm, and then mm. learn why I yeah. failed and do it again and do it again, do it again. Yeah. But I've always found education still was hard because it's like you have to get it right the first yeah, time yep. um, and the feedback process only once yes. you do it then you get it and you can't get to go back and fix yeah, it you know yep. um, but look everything's changing now I think it's an it's it's opened the gateway for lots of things to change and hopefully for the better and I think um, your company just puts that in the it's, it's in the right direction and I'm excited to see what you do um, yeah thank well, you very much that's all <laughs> thank you